Hello, everybody. Welcome to Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Today is April 15th, 2020. And in the pre-pandemic world, this was known as tax day. But of course, now in this pandemic world we live in, it's just another day at home. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce. And with me today is Eve Boba. She is a portfolio manager and market strategist at Ropel Capital Management. She's also the co-author of a book named The Life Cycle Trade. And here's the book that Eve sent to me. Thank you, Eve. Thanks for being here, You're Eve. You're welcome. Oh, it's my pleasure, Arusha. I'm so humbled and honored to be here today. I've listened to your podcast before and you're a great interviewer, so be easy on me. <laughs> and you've had some just amazing, great guests. And so I'm um, really glad to join you here today. That's so cool here. Thank you. On today's podcast, we are going to talk about the current market, buying what you know, and then we will end the episode with a few ideas that could, that could benefit after we get out of the whole pandemic environment. So let's get into the current market. And it's amazing how from week to week things can change. The market isn't an uptrend and the character of the market continues to improve. And we're seeing more leading stocks building bases and some of them are breaking out. Eve, what are your thoughts? Well, it's certainly an unprecedented time. And before we get started, just I want to just say thank you to all those folks out there that are helping people that are sick and are really providing the essential services to all of us that are staying at home and uh, trying to stay safe. So I really want to thank everyone and uh, everyone stay safe. Okay. So I just wanted to, (laughs) thanks. I just wanted to talk a little bit uh, about the market. As you mentioned, this has been before this rally, we had this unprecedented waterfall decline and um, it was shocking. I mean, I've, traded through various markets, uh, bear markets in the past. And uh, this one was really, really harsh. A lot of stocks corrected, just super deep corrections. Mm -hmm. And it happened so quick, right? I mean, we look back, it's it's just been a few weeks. So looking at the charts, uh, I go through all the charts on the weekends and during the week, and there's been a lot of damage. Because basically the the economy has been halted and this has never happened before. So when I, when I scan through all the charts, I see charts that I haven't seen in a long, long time. And that damage is going to take a long time to recover. But yet, as you mentioned, there are some glimmers of hope. Mm-hmm. I've seen some stocks that have set up during this terrible market and actually have recently broken out to all time highs. So there has been some strong action over the last few weeks, but it's still going to take time, I think, to repair the damage. Yeah, and and going back to what you were talking about originally with how quick this correction came, and uh, I mean, this was the quickest that I've seen from a, a nice steady uptrend to just a very devastating downtrend without very little warning. But that being said, I'm sure you feel the same way. It makes me appreciative of having great rules uh, and not being a deer in the headlights and reacting when you start to see stocks breaking down, when you start to see the market go into a correction, all these distribution days collecting. uh, It's just a great lesson uh, and a reminder that anything can happen in the market. Very true. Um, I was lucky. We were defensive starting in late February. Mm-hmm. And um, also, I wanted to mention that as I was reflecting for this podcast, I just feel luck- so lucky to have such wonderful mentors over the years. I mean, Bill has taught me so much as well as Jim Ropel and, and other great traders as well. And I was reflecting on that is how did we actually exit the market and get defensive at that time? A lot of our stocks triggered sell signals and we were able to sideline uh, a lot of this uh, correction. So uh, I'm really grateful to the mentors that have helped me over the years. It's been so valuable. For it sure. really has. Absolutely. Bill, 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 the impact that Bill O'Neill has made on all of our lives 
is remarkable and and the rules that he really introduced all of us to they're timeless and and they continue yeah, to true. protect us right uh and of course jim ropel is a huge favorite on on the podcast and 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 also has a lot of wisdom to share so we, we always love having him on uh now with with some of these cell rules were you going using some of the defensive cell rules in the the beginning to help you get out or were you being a little proactive also locking in some gains uh, because the mark the, the year started out really well, right? And right. some of these stocks, and you've done this for a long time too. It's like it was always in the back of my head that things are working a little too well. Maybe I should be a little bit more proactive and try to lock in some gains, even though sometimes it's so hard to cash in some profits. We saw a lot of parabolic moves in our holdings, and so we were selling um, quite a bit into strength, and some some on defense as well. But that helped to retain a lot of the, the profits for the year and helped us sidestep a lot of the, the decline. Excellent. Yeah. So, Eve, let's get into how you got into investing. Uh, and, and you start out, started out like a, a lot of us. You just started trading on your own, right? Yes, yes. I was um, interested in, I've been interested in the stock market and trading for a long, long time. But in 95, I really decided oh, I'm going to trade my own account. I'm going to trade stocks. And so I started reading a lot of different investment books and attending seminars. And then I happened upon Bill O'Neill's book at the bookstore. So yeah. there it was, I, I picked it up and it really, really hit home with me. And so I read it, I reread it many times. And uh, then I was lucky enough to go to my first IBD seminar. This was back in 95 as well. I went out to Florida and uh, had an opportunity to meet, meet Bill O'Neill and David Ryan at the time awesome. was uh, teaching as well. It was like a one day seminar. It was awesome. And uh, at the end of the seminar, I still remember this. I, I got the courage to, to go up there and introduce myself. Right. And yeah. um, Bill was, Bill was there answering everyone's questions, you know, and I noticed over the years, he, he would always do that. He would stay, and make sure like the last question was answered. You know, they'd be turning off the lights in, yes. in the venue and he would be there. Uh, Bill is a great, great teacher and you could tell he in, enjoys it. So uh, I remember exactly what he wrote and I still have the book. I was trying to actually find it. I know it's here in my office somewhere, but uh, he wrote, I asked him to write advice for a newbie trader like me. You know, what would he, what would he, advice would he give to me? Yeah. And he said, um, buy the best stocks with great earnings coming out of bases. Look at all the that's great it, yeah. advice he put into one exactly. sentence. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> that's, and, and that's, the, that's the name of the game right there. It hasn't changed. Yeah, I've always, always remembered that. And, and also, I wanted to mention the IBD seminars. I started attending just about like every year, if not more. And smart. I was reflecting back in preparing for this podcast a lot of the people that I associate with now, I met through attending the IBDs, like advanced seminars in Santa Monica. So yeah. I actually met Jim Ropel there. I met the team um, through connections there and through the IBD meetups that I worked on with the IPO research study that I'll talk about later. So um, it's, it's interesting, like what a small world and how I was able to, to meet my network through uh, various seminars and, and really thanks to, to Bill and all the IBD folks. Yeah, it, it is pretty incredible. And I, I'm, I've, I've seen it and, and I've heard it from a lot of others too, just the, how tight the community is. And, and once you get in that network and, and it, it's, it's pretty cool how, uh, how well everyone stays in touch, especially these days now. And, and your, the project that we'll talk about in the second segment, that's a perfect example of how, how you guys all stayed in touch. You did, you did a, uh, the study and, and you know, came up with a really cool book uh, on top of that. Uh, yeah, so, I met, I met uh, Jim, I think it was like 2006 in Siena Monica. Was it, the, was it the master's program? Yes, I think okay. it was like the advanced level four at the time. Yeah. And uh, at the time as well, I was working for the Federal Reserve. So I had a career, great career with the Federal Reserve. I worked there for around well, over 20 years. Wow. And had various roles there. Um, had a chance to meet with people, all, you know, talk to them and work with them across the country. 
and worked through some of the events uh, at the time I was at the Fed. You know, we had 9-11, the financial crisis. So uh, learned a lot from all of the people that I worked with. Um, and at the time, I was also, uh, I, I've always had a passion for the stock market and, and trading. And uh, Jim Ropel was starting a second fund, a growth equity fund. And he asked me to join him. That was in 2011. So um, I, I joined him as a portfolio manager in August of 2011. Yeah. So <laughs> it was interesting because at that time, it was nothing like 95. When I started in 95, I was a new trader and it was a very strong perfect market. Yeah. It was perfect timing. I couldn't have timed it better, right? And so pretty much everything I did kind of worked out. Well, right. little did I know that's not the way it works. The, the market and trading is much more difficult than that. But of course, I was uh, doing very well because the market was also helping out. It was the strong market. But when I joined as a portfolio manager, I remember the exact day and the market, the NASDAQ closed down 5% oh, and it God. was going to be a choppy, choppy, severe downtrend. And it was very difficult to trade. So, you know, I learned a lesson. I did get chopped up a bit when I started. Mm -hmm. And the lesson I learned is, you know, there's times to be very aggressive in the market. You know, when it was a strong market in, in the late 90s, it's very different from the 2011 market when it's time to really step to the side and kind of watch the action, wait for a good pitch, uh, because it's very easy when the volatility is very high to get chopped up yes. with, you know, with the stops that you use, you try to get positioned. And uh, after a while, it's death by a thousand cuts if you, if you try to um, trade too much in that type of a market. So it was a great lesson for me. Yeah, and, and a lot of times the most dangerous market is not the downtrending market, it's a sideways choppy market because you're going to get chopped uh, up. And if you don't listen to the market, if you don't listen to the feedback and pull back and maybe even just play with smaller positions, you're, you're gonna lose a lot of money very quickly. Very easy to do, yeah. So, you know, even with this more recent follow through day, what I usually do is wade back into the market. Yeah. Uh, I'm not gonna be very aggressive right off the bat. And the intraday volatility has been so high. So uh, what I typically do is, is reduce the position size and widen the stops a little bit. Otherwise, okay. it's very easy to just, you could even be right and intraday get stopped out of a new position. So I've waited back in, you know, I have some new positions that over the last few weeks that have been working, but uh, I'm waiting for, for more feedback before I would get more aggressive because it's, we're not sure, right? This has right. been an unprecedented event. Um, we're not sure, you know, the pandemic has been a black swan event and anything is, we, we've learned that anything is possible in the market. And no one knows really, is this a counter trend rally or was the bottom put in? No matter what anyone says, no one really knows for sure. So what I do is, you know, watch the action, watch the market action, watch what the stocks are doing. Um, are the indexes regaining the moving averages or are they, providing resistance, you know, what's the breath? And most important is just the feedback from the, the test new positions, the smaller positions. Definitely, yeah, and, and so there have been reason to have exposure in the market and to get that feedback, but you don't, yet, like you said, you don't wanna be ultra aggressive at this point because it's still a lot of uncertainty and, and still plenty of volatility. Right. So the market is back in an uptrend and we potentially could be starting a new, a new bull market. And so make sure that your watch lists are fresh and play with some more smaller positions to get feedback in the market. Let's take a quick break, but when we return, we are gonna talk about the importance of buying what you know. Stay tuned. I am here with Scott St. Clair. Scott's one of our senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, there are a ton of publicly traded stocks just on the U.S. I think it's over 5,000 stocks. 
who has the time to go through all of these stocks and find the very best ones? Yeah, most people don't, right? So what you need is a tool like MarketSmith. We have decades of research on what makes a great winning stock. So we've done all the research for you. So we're going to try to highlight those specific stocks with those great data points. So if you're looking for that next great potential big winner, orange stock ideas button, you just click on it and you've got some of the main reports that we use, including the Growth 250. Yeah, and the Growth 250 is the first list that I go through on the weekends. Yeah, it's the most popular one, but there are others. There's the Breaking Out Today, Stocks Near a Pivot, and then the Blue Dot list, right, which is very popular. It's going to show you the stocks with the best relative strength. So we've done a lot of the work for you. What you have to do is review these lists. You're going to come up with some of the best ideas in that current market environment. Perfect. Mark Smith saves you time and makes investment research that much easier. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. Eve Bobak is our guest on Investing with IBD, sponsored by Market Smith. Okay, Eve, let's go over the importance of buying what you know. And this is something you've been using this concept uh, for a long time. Why don't you walk us through uh, some of the reasons and, and how you do it? Well, I'm an early adopter. I like to test products of the companies that I'm considering investing in. I've just found that it's really helpful to have that firsthand knowledge. Mm -hmm. I, I do a lot of research as well and a lot of reading, but nothing really beats having firsthand experience with the product and service of a company that I'm considering. Yep. And I think that's why I've always been interested in early life cycle stocks and IPOs because I am an early adopter and I like to like test the different products. Um, I'll just tell a couple of stories. Definitely. please. <laughs> um, yeah. It was, it was very, uh, it was a learning experience for me and I'm going to go all the way back to 1998 and for those of you that weren't trading in the late 90s, it was a wild time. <laughs> um, eBay came out during, you know, during a crazy market and uh, it, it formed a quick, deep IPO base and it shot out of there like a, like a rocket ship and advanced unbelievable numbers, right? So this, yeah. was, this was 1998, you know, the late 90s when anything uh, tech was, was moving. Right. And I had thought that the company could do very well. You know, that was my personal opinion. And I started reading and researching and I read an analyst report that started questioning eBay's entire business model, saying, you know, they have no moat around their business. Competition is just going to, you know, really be a problem for them. There's no way the company can be successful. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of discounted it and I still, you know, I had the stock and uh, but I ended up not handling it well. And I can tell you probably in the back of my mind was what I had read, you know, that impression of I just didn't have the, the right conviction level to stick with the stock and didn't handle it well. And so kind of like fast forward now to, I think it's like 2007, was it when Apple mm -hmm. launched the first uh, iPhone? Uh, and, 2004. Yeah. Right. Oh, was it four? Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. Oh, 2000, my bad. Yeah, 2006, late okay. 2006, they did the iPhone, right? Yeah. Okay. So they, they launched the iPhone and um, I was reading another analyst report because I, you know, I do a lot of research and a lot of reading. And um, the analyst said that the iPhone is, you know, a terrible product. It's, it's not a very good phone. You can barely hear the person <laughs> on the other end. Right. And I was, just, you know, this time I had the phone in my hand. So I was early in getting, you know, the first iPhone. And so I knew the, the report was wrong because this yeah. wasn't a phone, you know, this was a computer in your yes. hand and the analyst just, that particular analyst just didn't get it. So I think it's really important for me to understand the product and the services very well. And it's, it's in addition to all the other research, the fundamental and technical research, but this little piece I think helps with conviction in a company because there's going to be times when a trader's conviction is tested right mm -hmm. there's going to be exactly. times when the stock pulls back or if you're sitting through a base um, or if some negative news headline comes out so i found this as a really helpful exercise to make sure that i keep up with the companies that i'm thinking of investing in and uh, another example is is tesla yeah um, so 
I was one of the first to test drive the the Model S. I'm thinking that was launched around 2012. And then later on, after a while, they offered test drives of the car. And right away, I knew this was really a game changer because the car was amazing. I mean, the car was more a computer on wheels, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, you hit the accelerator, it took off. Um, so the firsthand experience helped me when all of the negative press came out about Tesla. And I don't know if you remember, but it was like, you know, they would be talking about fires, you know, the cars That's are right. yep. burning up, people are yep. dying in the cars. Yep. Um, I, I don't know, they seem to blow the negative news out of proportion. Right. And so even when I would talk to people, if they had not actually firsthand experience with the product, all they could um, tell me is that, oh, are those the cars that catch on fire all the time? And so really the firsthand experience uh, was important for me. The, uh, the other thing, when they launched the Model 3, mm -hmm. um, I actually went out there the day when they were taking registrations for the Model 3, and I was out at Oak Brook Mall, and there was a line wrapped around. Remember how the Apple Store would have lines for the iPhone launch, oh, yeah, like all, all the, the way time. around yeah. through the mall? Yeah. Well, this time it was for people putting down $1,000 on the Model 3 on a car they hadn't seen before. And there were lines like that wrapped, yeah. you know, wrapped yeah. around the mall. So I was in awe of that. I think that day they took something like 180,000 reservations for the car. It was unbelievable. And then probably it was like a few weeks later or, or maybe a month or so, they had almost half a million uh, people that put down $1,000 to reserve their car. So. Um, all of that, I think, helped me uh, handle the trades in Tesla uh, more effectively and, you know, balance out some of the, the negative media coverage. Yeah, and, and, and that's a re really key point, especially, I think, that the first thing that you were talking about with the analysts. The, uh, the analysts are really, really smart people, but they're, they're focusing on certain aspects of it. And it's really hard for anyone to truly understand what these companies can do uh, sometimes, right. right? Even like that, when the iPod came out, I, I remember seeing, I was like, who's going to pay $400 for uh, a, a, this digital music player when you could get like the Archos music box, like for a hundred bucks. Well, a lot of people apparently right. wanted to, were willing to pay $400 for it. So it's very, really hard to understand that, which is why if you under, have that story, then you follow the charts, then you start seeing the sales and earnings coming. Now you start putting the, the pieces of the puzzle together. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's so helpful. And one of the things I, I was also influenced by the works of uh, Peter Lynch. Okay. And he wrote about just the concept of, you know, looking at what the younger generations are interested in, the, the types of brands they like, uh, where they shop, is just kind of a starting point for researching some potential high growth, future, you know, future high growth companies. So that's another influence on me. And yeah, I think you and I were talking earlier, um, you know, we both started Amazon pretty early, right? Yes. Yeah. 99. <laughs> yeah. So I, I looked at one of the banners on when I was on Amazon the other day and um, yeah, I couldn't believe it, but it was 99. What's interesting is I was asking, I would like make it a habit to ask every year, you know, ask people if they've shopped online and it's taken a long time and it's taken it's been decades and slowly over time, people are buying more online. And, and of course now, you know, in this situation they are as well, but those types of um, dis disruptions take time to occur. And the other product was the Alexa, which I bought early on. Yes, which, yes. You know, really helps understand the company and, and where it's going. So, you know, just, you know, my key takeaway or my thought on, on this is that it, nothing beats the firsthand experience with companies and products there you know i do all the other research as well the fundamentals and and the technicals and and read the reports and and you know there there's there are some takeaways from that but when you need the conviction in the company the the firsthand experience is, is very helpful yeah and and it doesn't necessarily even have to be technology companies uh restaurants right, right? Re re restaurants you're, you're always gonna it seems like every bull market is gonna have a new kind of innovative restaurant you have chipotle that that had lines out the door or right. uh shake shack is a, a more recent one 
um, that there are lines out the door there too, right? So you, you always want to yeah. keep your eyes open. Uh, and because you may stumble on an idea that way instead of through a screen at MarketSmith or uh, an article that you read, you just may just actually just see a long line out the door and pull out your phone and see if it's publicly traded. Uh, I've found I've stumbled on a number of ideas like that. Right. And so, I remember Bill saying that he he owned a one of the grocery stores or a grocer and yeah. he would go by and drive by and he'd count. You know, oh, pick and, quick, pick and save. Yeah. Yeah. He'd, he'd go count every day and, and count, count the, the, the number of cars in the, the, the parking lot there. Yeah. So, and that he held pick and save for seven years because uh, he just, he just kept working. Yeah. Um, so let's and through get, the bad markets too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, he through. held through a bear market, and, which is, which is remarkable. He had so many shares of it. I think he had like uh, maybe 4% of the company <laughs> shares available i uh, had a monster <laughs> position in it but uh yeah he 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 held through the bear market um but even then he said that he had he drew a line in the sand he was up a huge amount but he drew a line in the sand and said okay if it if it comes down and starts to get below this price i'm gonna have to start selling and it came within one dollar wow. of it and then and that was it and then it took off and went on to another double or triple from from there so yeah, yeah that that's line in the sand is important <laughs> very very important now let's uh, let's take this the next step because you 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 mentioned about your interest in ipos and finding newer companies and so you call co-authored a book named the life cycle trade and so let's you walk us through a few of the concepts that you and your fellow co-authors discovered when uh researching super growth stocks and ipos Okay, let me do a shout out to the team. It was yes. a team effort and uh, we did an IPO study. We actually uh, worked on that for several years. Uh, really spent a lot of time looking at I the IPOs over the last couple decades and all the super growth stocks and uh, worked very, very hard for several years. And it, it was great fun. We had great fun working together. So a shout out to Kathy Donnelly. Kathy? Hey, Kathy. Thank you, <laughs> Eric Kroll and Kurt Dale. It was a it was a great team. We learned so much. We never thought it, it didn't start as a book. It, yeah. it started as a, really a question. And the question that we had was, is there a way that we could tell early in a stock's life cycle that it's going to be a super growth stock in the future? You know, are there tells early on? And so our research took us different ways, um, but in the end, we were very heavily influenced by Bill O'Neill. And I remember Bill used to say, you know, uh, I think it's in his book, you know, if you're if you want to learn about fish, you know, study fish, yes. watch the fish, right? Yep. And what we did was, you know, in our case, we we looked at, took a deep look at the IPOs and the super growth stocks and, and how they behave. And we were really surprised by the results. We didn't expect it. And I'm not gonna share all of them today, but um, just because of time, but a, a couple of the key findings is that stocks have a life cycle and there's three different main phases. I don't know if we can put up the the PowerPoint at all. Yeah, we, we can put them up uh, okay. afterwards. So that so the life okay. cycle phase here. Yeah. So walk us yeah, through the, so the few three, phases. Yeah. There's three phases. There's a typically an IPO advance phase. So this is a short-lived phase. So a stock comes public and it may have you know a short advance. Um, not all of them do. Some some just fail right away, and we'll talk about uh, that type of pattern in a little while. And then, um, so let's say it has a short IPO advance, short-lived, and then it has a sideways to down corrective phase, and that could be months to years. And what's happening here is the early investors are taking profits, it's putting pressure, and short-term traders, it's putting pressure on, on the IPO. Mm -hmm. And you can see from the chart, the action is sideways to down um, for months to years. And that we call an institutional due diligence phase. At the same time, longer term investors and institutions are researching the company and deciding 
whether they're going to accumulate shares. Right. And then uh, if and so that's a, that's usually like a couple of years or so, right? Maybe eighteen right. months yeah, to two be, years or so. Yes, usually. Sometimes it could be a little shorter in okay. months, but that's a typical time. Yes. And then if if a stock if a company is institutional quality then it'll have an institutional advance phase. And this is usually the longer phase where longer term hold rules and sell rules can be used. Because if you look at the IPO advance phase on this particular example, you know it's short lived and uh, shorter term rules work better, more offensive types of sell rules work better in that phase. And what we found also is that a lot of stocks um, after the IPO go through the IPO advance phase will, will undercut their first day trading day low. And that happens very quickly. So a majority of stocks will undercut their first day low uh, within three weeks. And we studied you know, decades worth of stocks that went public. And so we were pretty surprised by those results. Yeah. Because a lot of times people want to jump in right away. So you have the FOMO, the fear of missing out, right? And this could affect inexperienced investors, but even experienced investors can get caught up in the hype of a new IPO. Mm. And Facebook is a great example. So Facebook IPO'd in 2012, and it was to so much hype. I don't know if you remember, but um, I don't know. They showed people that were like remortgaging their homes to try to get, to get the a IPO. lot of pre-IPO yeah. we, we We received a lot of calls that I have never seen a more hyped up stock and had many uh, as many calls of people asking me, hey, how do I get uh, Facebook shares? And, and it was in the back of my mind that how could this work? If the, if the normal person wants it to work, there's no way it could work, right? Uh, the market right. always goes against the kind of just the common person. Exactly. It was a real contrarian signal. And also, you know, investors that requested shares were getting their allotments, which right. never yes. happened. Yes, exactly. So when when you see those types of signals, it's it's not going to be pretty after the, right. the stock goes public usually, right? Those are contrarian. So Facebook went public and almost immediately started to decline. And so you know, investors that bought, you know, pre-IPO or tried to get in first day because they were really fearful of missing out on this great growth story uh, were probably really hurt. It took months. Um, I don't know exactly. Well, it, it got right cut there. in half, I think. It, yeah. It, 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 was, it, it IPO around 40 and was down to 20, even less than 20, I think. Right. So it took a long time. You could see the base there and it's going through. So this was an IPO failure. There was no advance. Right. It instantly started, almost instantly started declining. And then it's going sideways, you know, while institutions research whether they're going to make investments for the long term. So the short term traders were, were selling out. Um, and it took quite a while to start its IPO advance phase. And it did because, you know, obviously the fundamentals started improving. The story was a, a growth story and institutions started accumulating shares. So it had a long advance and uh, you know, turned out to be a super growth stock. But mm -hmm. investing day one would have, even day one would have hurt a lot of people uh, or even at the IPO price. So uh, one of the key findings, the myth is that you need to buy right away, buy on day one to make money. That's the time to get in. Um, the fear of missing out. That's a big myth because a majority of IPOs will undercut their first day low within the first three weeks. So, you know, it's better to, to wait, wait for some consolidation. And then remember that even the uh, IPOs that have a short IPO advance phase typically eventually undercut as well. So um, it's it pays to be patient. Definitely. And it pays to know uh, what you know in the market, and also the behavior stocks during different phases of their life cycle. Uh, so, you here's her book. Here, here, all four of them: the life cycle trade, 
definitely uh, take a look at this book. There's a lot of research done. The more familiar you can get about these newer stocks, the better prepared you will be for some of the next great stocks. Coming up next, we will discuss a few ideas. Stay tuned. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at MarketSmith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There's so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out that whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings, huge sales growth, hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to, to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart. So it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah, and the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers, and they put it right on the markets chart, and all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah, I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, and, and, and that would take hours and hours. And in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to Investors.com slash podcast 2020. We are back with Eve Bobak on Investing with IBD, sponsored by MarketSmith. Okay, Eve, let's go into a few ideas and also a, some trends uh, that could do well in the post-pandemic environment. So let's start off with the trends first. Sounds good. I've been doing some thinking about how we're going to work, live, and play post-pandemic. And what I was thinking about is how some of the trends that we've been seeing develop during the pandemic may continue on in the future. Yes. And I'll just mention a few of them, but I'm actually spending a lot of time thinking about this and then looking at which stocks would benefit most and thrive uh, if these trends continue. So that's one way that I'm screening and looking for new ideas uh, for, the, for the future. So the three trends that I wanna to mention today are working from home, and pretty obvious and the need for the technology that supports it. So, you know, less time out interacting in big groups. So meetings, webinars, working from home, school from home, and uh, also working out at home because um, versus possibly going to the health club and interacting with lots of people. Because again, I think that just the solution to the pandemic is going to be uh, happen over time and be more of a marathon than a quick solution. So yeah. some of these trends may continue in the future. And the third one being online shopping and delivery services. I mean, some of these companies have been very creative during the pandemic where you can order things online and you know just drive by and they run out and, and give you what you've ordered. I mean, right. some of these models may continue in, in the future. So that's also a trend uh, that I'm looking at. And then what I start thinking through is, and there's a fourth one too, is telemedicine. I'm not going to talk about particular okay, stocks. That, that, yep, but that is a huge whole, grown trend now, right? It's a huge one with the online medical visits. Yep. So um, so I, I don't want really talk about stocks for the sake of time under that category, but that's also another one that I'm looking at. And so I was thinking about, you know, what stocks will thrive? and do best in, in these types of trends. And maybe we could talk about a few of them. Um, I wanna mention though, at this point, remind everyone that you know nothing I say is really intended as investment advice to buy or sell any securities. And I do wanna mention of the stocks that we talked about um, exactly which ones we have positions in. So we talked about Tesla, um, we do have a position in that, Zoom, Peloton, we'll talk about these and Chewy. Um, and then we did mention Amazon. So those are all positions that we currently hold. Yeah, and I, I, I have positions in most of those too. So we're on the right track. <laughs> we're thinking the same thing here. So let's get into the, the first stock and uh, for the post-pandemic trend, and that's Zoom, right? And this is the work right. from home trend. And uh, let me pull up the, the chart for this. Okay. Uh, and 
see. Well, if you've been staying, you know, if you have stay-at-home orders, you know that a lot of people are using Zoom. There's Zoom quarantine parties, you know, remote yeah. parties. There's yeah. uh, collaboration where work teams are using Zoom. Uh, kids are using it for remote learning. You know, the company basic, I mean, we're bringing, I believe, right, where you're using Zoom and bringing the podcast to you That's via right. Zoom. Yep. So, yep. um it's, it's getting a lot of use. The, the visits have increased and um, the use of the app has increased tremendously during the crisis. That's and when I think about the future, it, that trend you know, might continue. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think everyone has, uh, and we definitely here at IBD, we, we're using Zoom left and right for, for meetings all the time. And we're all seeing how efficient it is. Uh, you, you get down to the point, you, you, you're, you're in, you're out with these meetings, you're not, you know, wasting a lot of extra time. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see us, even once we all go back to the office, uh, start using that more instead of all meeting always in, in conference rooms uh, and, and things uh, like that. So we've seen the benefits, of, obviously, you mentioned with the podcast. Uh, and you can clearly show the chart we're using it. It, it. Everything works really well. Now there was some negative stuff though that was going on with Zoom right. over the, the right. last few weeks, right? Security and privacy. So there's definitely headline risk with this company and it's it's had you know, quite a run as well. So um, there's always risks associated with, you know, with any stock. So on the negative side, you know, some of the headline risk has really made the, the name volatile. And um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the chart. So you have the yeah. chart up there, yep. right? So let's let's look at it from the perspective of the phases that I mentioned earlier. Okay. Yeah. You could see, uh, and this is a daily chart, right, Arusha? This is a daily chart, yep. Yeah, okay, awesome. So you can see how the stock came public and then had its IPO advance phase. And it was right. you know, pretty short-lived, but it had a, a nice pop. It had a nice move. And then what we talked about before, now it starts going into like a corrective phase. And this is the institutional due diligence phase where, you know, some of the investors are taking their profits and the stock is, is undercutting uh, that whole advance. So that's, right. that's pretty normal. We see a lot of IPOs that have this type of action. And in the past, you know, this surprised us because uh, I wasn't aware of this in the past on how many IPOs have this type of action. And so it's important to keep it on the radar, right? Yes, and absolutely. sometimes you could easily lose the, the stock in terms That's of having part. it on your yeah. radar. Yeah, it's you forget about it. I mean, this one, this base here was 168 days. Um, so essentially a half a year right here. Uh, very easy to have it fall off the, the, the radar if you're not keeping it on a larger watch list because why would anyone really want to you know, keep watching the stock as it's just going through a downtrend. Right, exactly. And I'm just bringing it up back here so I can see it on my monitor. And so you can see how it, it consolidated for quite some time mm. and then uh, finally moved out above that 107 or so level. Right. Um, that's what we refer to. I don't know if you saw it on our phases, but we call that the turbulence zone. And that's just a previous high where um, the stock typically might have a problem there. It may like rebase, it may shake out a bit, um, just when it kind of goes back to its all time high there. And you can yeah. see there was some turbulence there. There was, and, definitely. Yes. And then it tested the 10 week moving average and we'll, we'll see what happens from here. We'll see if it can have a sustained uh, institutional advance phase. Yeah, and the test of the ten the ten week moving average right here was uh, that's when all that security uh, stuff was coming out, and that was a pretty brutal uh, test too. It was like down like twenty six percent off its high, right. so pretty vicious. But it, as you said, now we'll see how how it goes. A, a pretty strong move out of it. Earnings and sales are are great for the stock. It is a newer stock, so those are always positives too. Right. And because it's starting what's potentially the institutional advance phase, that's where we found that possibly some of the longer term or midterm types of sell rules might uh, apply. But you could see where it had its quick IPO advance phase that shorter term, more offensive rules 
would have worked out better in that phase. Excellent. So let's go to the second uh, stock. And this is Peloton, uh, ticker symbol yeah. P-T-O-N. And I think you this were telling is, me that you have one, right? Uh, I, yes, <laughs> I, ju I just got it yesterday. And yeah, so when Eve and oh. I were talking last week, I ordered a Peloton uh, a month ago. And, and it was funny because I was kind of debating, but I was like, I don't know if I want to mm -hmm. necessarily buy this really expensive bike. Uh, and so I was looking on Amazon, I found another option that looked pretty good. It was like a few, it was like maybe 400 bucks. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll get that. Let me sleep on it. By the time I came the next morning, everything was sold out. All the bikes were sold out. Wow. And so I thought, okay, I'll get a Peloton. They, they'll probably have those. Nope, I had to wait four weeks uh, for it. And so after that, I did, well, after I saw the demand when I was trying to contact them uh, through customer support and all this kind of stuff, uh, and they had a message on their site saying, we can't move up the dates, you know, all this stuff, there's huge demand. So I went and actually bought the stock uh, at that point. I, and now it's not your traditional kind of buy point, but I, I was like, mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it's pushing a lot of people off the fence who were considering a Peloton. And it's not necessarily the bike, it's more that community that really right. kind of surprised me. So yeah, I finally rode, rode it a couple of times right now. It's, it's a real, obviously it's a really good bike. And I, and I, you can see just that where it's, it tracks all your stats, it, uh, you have this whole community, there's hundreds of classes on it. So it, it, it yeah. and it's right here, like during lunchtime, I just went and rode the bike for like a half hour before doing the podcast right now. It's, uh, I can see why people get addicted to, to uh, using this bike. See, so you're doing that research, exactly. that firsthand research. And I could just tell, you know, how excited you are about the, the product. It is, it, it's, and, uh, yeah. And, and I was one person who never considered this a few months ago too. Uh, but it was all, you know, it was always just kind of there. What's funny, and I'll give a, a little shout out to Ryan Davis, who's Cubby Bears on uh, Twitter. He's been oh, talking yeah, I about, right, Ryan. I know you know, right? Yeah. Uh, and he, he's another one Hi, who's, Ryan. who's <laughs> hey, Ryan. Uh, he's another one who's uh, a really into IBDs, come to the master's program a lot. He's been a great investor for a while. And he was on Twitter talking about Peloton way before it went on this monster run that's gone lately and i i went on there and i said don't don't give my best idea away you know <laughs> i don't share all the good ideas um so yeah ryan's very good and he, he picked that up and and so he he was uh you should follow him because he, he's sharing some really good ideas too but it's just and he has the bike too and so i saw him talking about the bike how he's riding it you know every day like for 30 to 45 minutes and he's pretty enthusiastic so that was another thing, someone I knew that was just kind of pushing me off the fence too, uh, to do it. Right, yeah, it makes a big difference. And so for people too that um, maybe don't wanna right away buy the product, what's interesting, I tried to choose companies where it's easy to test the product. So Peloton lets you go right into the store. I, I tested both the treadmill and the bike. They let you actually do a workout in the store. So yeah. you could kind of experience what Arusha's explaining here. Um, and again, it would give you that firsthand knowledge uh, of the company. So that's very valuable. And, and um, going off little... that store too, Eve, uh, that really reminds me of when Apple released their stores back like in the early 2000s or so. And it actually gave oh, people right. an opportunity to go and touch the Apple products because at that point, Apple was kind of dead in the water. And then, so, but I remember though, the one store I always wanted to go to when I was in Boston is the Apple store. Uh, and I would just go out, it took me years before I finally started buying Apple products, but they're always the coolest product. Now, almost everything right. I have is Apple, um, but uh, yeah, it, it's here. really just touching, feeling, getting to know it. And Pel that's brilliant with Peloton, having them ride the bike and seeing how cool it is. And, and then people realizing, hey, you know what? I, I could get excited by watching these classes or whatever. Yes. And one thing that's interesting with the Peloton, you can use, you could also get a subscription, I guess, to their classes, right. all different types of workouts and use it with existing equipment. So if you don't buy their equipment, you can also get like a monthly subscription. So exactly. it's interesting to note like all the different avenues and products they have. Well, a little yeah. bit, um, should we go through their chart a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's go. Let's go over their chart. Yep. Okay. All right. So uh, Peloton also uh, had this quick IPO advanced phase, which again, faster rules would have worked better there, you can see. And uh, then it, it corrected severely with the market. 
Right. And it's not, you know, it's been basing for a while and today it had a real strong day and it's looking at trying to clear some of these key levels and then we'll see how it acts, you know, around the 37 level, which could provide some turbulence if it follows the patterns that we saw in a lot of IPOs. Yeah, it's almost uh, a, a really kind of big double bottom that that it's right. it's put in here and so very severe, if you're using right. that yeah it's very severe uh and, <laughs> which makes and if, sense because of the market exactly exactly and, and that is one key that you when you're in bear markets you you have to take mm -hmm. that into account if these bases are are a little bit more volatile but it did pass right. if you're using a double bottom out of this it did pass that buy point of mm -hmm. 3460 plus the 10 cents 3470. um the other thing and you mentioned this eve is uh, it undercut the low of its IPO base too? Shook out right. more people only for a few days, and then and that was mm -hmm. kind of the first indication that surprised me is that came rocketing back too. It's like all of a sudden there are a lot of people happy to scoop up shares at this time, right? And if you go back, that's an excellent point, Arusha. And then if you go back like to the first day it traded. Yes. See how quickly it undercut that first yes. day low as well. That's you know, true. Anyone yeah. that tried to buy there. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's uh, really shaken out several times there. And I, I loved your point about the bases and what they look like when we're in a severe you know correction or a bear market because the bases are not going to be that pretty and, and that's important to keep an eye on. Yep. Yeah. It's always the perspective on the market. Yeah. Another thing that that we all learned from Bill. Uh, right. years ago. Okay, so let's go to the the third. Now for Peloton, the other thing, their sales are very, very consistent right here. It's just one of these companies that hasn't come around with earnings. So obviously that's a big negative to it, but worth keeping an, uh, keeping an eye on it. They, they'll report probably in the next few weeks or so also. So something to keep an eye on, but it is gonna be more volatile because it's a younger company with uh, no earnings. And the final stock, is uh, Chewy, C-H-W-Y. And here is, uh, it's pretty amazing with, the, with pets and uh, how, how, how much people are willing to spend. And this has been a trend that's probably been growing for the last 10 years. People are just willing to spend a huge amount of money. I, I, I have pets that spend left and right uh, for, for them. So this is a, yet another company that's come out what do you like about this uh, company, Eve? Well, it's, as you mentioned, it's an online pet food store and also sells medicine for pets and not only cats and dogs, but a whole variety of pets, horses oh, wow. and reptiles. And so um, they're, they're really providing a service where you can subscribe and have food delivered directly to your house. And I think they're probably benefiting from stay-at-home orders where people want to interact less in, in retail establishments. Yep. So um, this is another stock that's very easy to test out and get firsthand experience with. So, you know, I loaded the app and, you, you know, they have an app and you can easily order your pet food and then set it up to just auto send to you on a certain schedule. So yeah. again, it might be a stock that benefits from that trend of people wanting uh, to shop more online, get things delivered. And then, you know, when once people get into habits, they tend to stay with them, right? So have we changed our habits during this pandemic? And some of them will say, wow, we like these. Um, these are making our life uh, easier. So um, this fits that trend of, of online shopping and delivery. Um, this is a classic example as well of a pump and dump like Facebook. So if you look at wow. what happened to Chewy uh, when it went public, it yep. almost immediately started going down. Um, yep. So people are underwater. It's uh, consolidating and going through that institutional due diligence phase uh, for a while where, you know, people are taking profits and then uh, you know, institutional investors are, are thinking about and researching whether they're going to take a position in this. So now it's trying to, it's actually made new highs, but again, the, the turbulence zone is that previous high. So uh, right around the 41, a little over 41, um, it could start getting some turbulence here. It did when it approached it before. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes when stocks power out, um, they can do that as well, but most will find some level of of turbulence and pullback or base building 
when they approach or you know come very close to new all-time highs. So we'll have to see uh, whether it can continue and advance an institutional advance phase here. Some of these are thinner names, um, less liquid. And also one thing I wanna point out is, you know, IPOs during a bear market can be very risky. Um, the volatility, I think you mentioned that Arusha, um, can, you know, just intraday can be severe. The ranges For can sure. be very, very large. So um, it's something that, um, Typically, you know, I won't have many IPOs in a portfolio. If I do, they're smaller positions so that um, I can withstand the volatility. And I want to see the, you know, the market start to turn um, because these are high risk names. And what happens is during a bear market, you know, the illiquid names, higher risk names, um, it's kind of a risk off scenario. So yes. that's something, you know, just as a caution. You know, we're talking about newer names that don't have as much history um, and they have to be watched very, very closely. Definitely. And, and this is yet another company that doesn't have the earnings just yet. Uh, and so we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how it ends up working out. But uh, Eve brings up a good point here where you're in, we're in maybe the beginnings of a bull market or maybe we're still in the bear market. We don't know. And so this is, we have the luxury of really picking and choosing our names and uh, we, we have our choices right now. So just pick a few and see how that happens. So a lot of times with these more volatile younger companies, yeah, you know, I might not try them as much or if I, if I do try them, I'm gonna go in a lot smaller there. So Eve, why don't you uh, recap some of the, the key points uh, that you wanted to share, share with the listeners uh, today and that they should take away uh, from this podcast. Okay, thanks, Arusha. Um, just four main points that I wanted to try to get across. And the first is uh, really the importance of doing your own research, understanding uh, the products and services of a company firsthand really makes a big difference um, in being able to stick with a position in a company through some, some turbulence. So that's important. And you know, watch the Peter Lynch principle is watching where the younger generations shop as well. You can get ideas. Um, from them on companies to further research and be really flexible. This is something that Bill taught me. Uh, he was, is so flexible with the market. Right. So he would always adjust to what the market was offering and um, be able to go from a bearish stance to a bullish stance based on what he saw very quickly and vice versa. And so um, what I wanted to try to get across is just the importance of the market and being flexible, watching what the market is actually doing. These are all concepts that, that Bill has taught me over the years. And knowing when to press up in a strong bull market and knowing when to step aside. Uh, you know, I'm an intermediate growth trend trader and in these um, severe bear markets, it's best most of the time just to step aside and, you know, cash is a position, watch what's happening. And then, you know, I typically wade back in. So not too aggressive because we never know if, if it is actually the bottom or um, if it's a strong counter rally. And um, one of the things, the other points is really the importance of finding mentors um, and a great network of successful traders to communicate with regularly. I've learned so much from, from Bill O'Neill, from Jim Ropel, and also from the teachings of you know, Peter Brandt, Dan Zanger, Jack Schwager, so there, and Dr. Brett Steenbarger from a trading psychology perspective. All of these people have uh, really contributed so much to my learning process, and um, I wanna thank them all. But I wanted to make sure that everyone understands that I think you know, experienced and inexperienced traders can really benefit from seeking mentors in this type of a network. And then uh, lastly, just learning how to identify and handle super growth stocks. And, and this is really um, doing research. So, something that Bill told me, it always really hit home with me. And he said, your job as a trader is to find the next apple, not only to find the next apple, your job as a trader is to find the next apple and handle it well. Yes. And the whole research study that we conducted was really around that is 
really understanding what's the life cycle of these super growth stocks, uh, what type of cell rules work well, um, how is it best to handle them in their different phases. And so um, that's one of the key things is, and we, we really try to put all of our findings in, in our book, the life cycle trade and share it with others because it helped our trading so much. So we wanted to share it with everyone else. Perfect. So once again, the book is The Life Cycle Trade. You, you got a nice little glimpse of how she's an, uh, analyzing these younger IPOs. Uh, and, you know, and, and that's an important part, knowing where you are in the trades and what phase you are. So you know when to push it and when not to. So thanks, Eve, for uh, joining us today on Investing with IBD. Thank you so much, Arusha. It was a great fun. Next week, we will have Kirk Duplessis on. He is the founder of Options Alpha. And so we'll talk about options and how you can use that in the stock market, too. Uh, that's it for this week on Investing with IBD. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.